G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In the New Covenant, God promises not to remember our sins anymore. That which we choose to remember is what will determine our quality of life on earth. Satan's strategy is to cause us guilt and despair by reminding us of our sins. He will use people to criticize our faults and failings as his agents for this purpose. In contrast, Jesus wants us to be conscious of the truth that he taught us. That is that we have been forgiven all our sins and that God will never remember them against us again. When we celebrate the new covenant through the breaking of bread, what is it that we remember? Some have been taught to examine themselves for sin. But Jesus never told us to remember our sins at communion, but to remember him. This is what we read. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Which are you remembering? Your sin or Jesus, your righteousness? This is Set Free with Ken Legg. Hello, Phil's my name. And today, author and pastor Ken Legg and I are talking on the subject of guilt, something all of us have to deal with. Well, Ken, you raised a really interesting point just a minute ago. Some would argue that we are told to examine ourselves at communion to determine whether we are partaking worthily. And what do you say to that? Well, Phil, there's a big difference between worthily and worthy. None of us are worthy. You know, I think some of us have thought that we've got to examine our lives and if we've been living up to a standard, then we're okay to take it. If not, then we can't take communion. None of us are worthy. In fact, it's our unworthiness that qualifies us because grace doesn't look to our merits but to the merits of Jesus. And and if we were worthy, then it wouldn't be grace, you know. But Paul is speaking here about the manner in which the Christians at Corinth were eating and drinking. They were not discerning the Lord's body, which, of course, is the local church to which they belong. You know, they were drinking unworthily. They were fragmented. You know, they were kind of gathering in little groups around their own leaders. They were taking one another to court. They were trying to outdo one another with tongues and prophecy. Mm. Uh, they were coming to the table and uh, some of them were being very greedy while others were going away hungry. So they were they were eating and drinking unworthily, not discerning the Lord's body. We're all unworthy. Mm. And that's what qualifies us to come to the table. I love the way I've never heard it put that way before, that it's our unworthiness that actually qualifies us yeah. to partake in communion, to remember what the Lord has done for us. It's not about us, it's about him and what he's done. It's amazing. Yeah. It, it goes to show, I guess, that by misinterpretation of those verses, some people you know, have come to the table of the Lord and gone away with a, a sense of unworthiness from the very place where they should find freedom from guilt. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I have a saying, uh, religion reminds... But God forgets. Uh, We've already seen that God promised he will remember our sins no more. Mm. Now, the writer of the Hebrews contrasts the blessing of a cleansed conscience under the new covenant with a perpetual reminder of sin that was under the old covenant, sacrificial system. If somebody committed a sin, they had to bring a lamb. They would have to bring it all the way through the camp. So not only would they be conscious of their sin, everybody else would be conscious and aware that that's sin. They'd probably be thinking, oh, what's he done this time? You know, <laughs> that's the third time today. He's walked through there with a lamb. And so there was this perpetual reminder 
of sin. But where there's no more offering of sacrifices, there's no more consciousness of sin. That's what the writer of the Hebrews says. So conversely, through the repetitive nature of sacrifices, there's a constant reminder of sin. And that's what religion does. It invents systems, rituals, practices, which actually call one's sins to mind, whether it's the sacrament of confession and penance or sin-focused preaching, if you like, or guilt-mongering by you know, the so-called church police, all leads to sin consciousness. You know, it's amazing how many people want us to be focused on their failures and their shortcomings, and this is what Jesus wanted to set us free from. Just to clarify, though, Ken, you're not saying that we shouldn't preach sin when we're preaching the gospel to the unsaved, but that we shouldn't be preaching sin to the saved because the sin issue has been resolved. Is that what you're saying? That's right, exactly. Um, of course, we need to preach sin to those who are not saved because they need to be forgiven and they need to know that they need to be forgiven by mm. by seeing and understanding their, their, their sin and then they can come to Jesus and be reconciled to God through him. But that's not where the focus is to be for us who are Christians. You know, the sin question has been resolved. That's what I'm saying. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews goes on to say that in contrast to those daily Jewish sacrifices that were being offered up to God, we read this concerning Jesus. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Now, how complete is the finished work of Christ, Phil? You know, he offered one sacrifice for sins forever. And when he had done this, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now, a person only sits down when the work is finished. And then we read this mind-blowing statement, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Just stop and think about that. By that one offering, he has perfected us forever. And we know we are being sanctified in practice, but in position as God sees us in Christ, we are perfect. We're complete. We're righteous in a perfect way. What about confession, though? I mean, the Bible encourages us to confess our sins one to another. Doesn't put that put the focus back on sin, though? Isn't that counterproductive somehow? Yeah, that's a very interesting issue, and I want to just take a little bit of time, if I can, because I don't want to be misunderstood in what I'm going to say in answer to that question. First of all, it's important to note that there's only one single verse in the New Testament epistles. I'm not talking about the Gospels, because remember, even the Gospels were under the Old Covenant until the cross. The, the mm. New Covenant began at the cross. Yeah. And then we have the epistles which relate to the church life. So there's only one single verse in the New Testament epistles which actually instructs us to confess our sins to God. Now, I think as James says that we confess our sins to one another, you know, so that we can encourage one another and so on. But only John says confess your sins to God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You know the mm. verse. That's right. Now, the context of that verse seems to refer not to the confession of individual sins as such, but to the fact that we have sin in our lives. You know, when we come to God, we confess that we are sinners in need of salvation. Now, towards the end of the first century, there was the first stages of a heresy called Gnosticism. Now, the Gnostics actually argued that sin belonged to the material world and was a part of the flesh. Okay, So it wasn't a part of the real world. The real world world is the world of the spirit. So those who taught these things were beginning to infiltrate the church. They were saying, no, sin's not an issue. You know, so it's attacking at the foundations of the gospel. The gospel starts with, "Hey, you're a sinner in need of salvation." Mm-hmm, okay, correct, yeah. so people start saying, "Oh, these guys are saying, no, we're not. <laughs> we don't need saving because um, that's all in the flesh. That's nothing to do with the real world." So John says, "If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all 
unrighteousness. Then he goes on and says again, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his truth is not in us. Now that's the gospel. Um, We confess when we come to God that we have sinned against him and we're in need of salvation. Now when that's the case, the Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from what? All sin. Mm. That's when we were cleansed from all our sins. Now, I'm not saying for one moment, Phil, that we don't need to confess before God that you know our shortcomings and our failures. But let's ask a question here. Do we really believe that if we don't confess every individual sin, then that sin is not forgiven? Mm. Because if we're saying that, what we're saying is that salvation is by what Jesus did on the cross and our confession of every single sin. Which really brings it back under the law. It does. And, and let's ask the question, who has really confessed every sin, <laughs> every individual <laughs> yeah. sin? I mean, it's take a lifetime many times, but, but nobody can actually remember every sin, you know. And here's the thing. Some people actually believe that this is how it's, you know, we're meant to do it, that we're meant to confess every sin, and that if we actually die before every sin is confessed, we won't go to heaven, we'll go to hell. Because you've got to say that to be consistent with this teaching. If we're not forgiven yeah. until we've confessed every individual sin, and we die, say, say for example, oh, well, I'll leave that to the end of the day, and then I'll confess all my sins. I get run over by a truck on the way home, then I haven't had time to confess those sins. You know what I'm saying? Now, salvation is in believing in Jesus and believing that when he died on the cross, he forgave us all our sins. Now, of course, it would be helpful if I say, Lord, I'm sorry I did, thought, or said that thing, but I thank you that on the cross, even this was forgiven. I'm already righteous in your sight, because then, Phil, I'm confessing my righteousness in Christ, not my sin. time for today but join us again tomorrow when we continue our discussion on guilt the number one killer until then remember you don't have to carry that baggage god wants you to be set free for books dvds small group studies and other resources from ken Legg, including the book new covenant new glory which features topics from today's message visit the vision christian store at vision.org.au that's vision.org.au